Thank you, Steve, and good morning, everybody. I don't know how many of you have a copy of the schedule, but uh, I don't think I was scheduled to be here today. I think we we're scheduled to uh, hear Mr. TV. Uh, but uh, when I looked on the website, uh, the, the CGI website, we have a section there uh, for traveling minister schedules, and I noticed that uh, I was scheduled to be here on the website, but on the schedule that somebody showed me, it said TV, as in Victor, and I thought, well, it's, just a, it's a natural consequence since the V and the B are next to each other on the keyboard. I bet that's TB. And I thought, maybe I better get up here lest I be uh, derelict in my duties. So I decided I would rush up here and uh, meet with you good folks. And, you know, I, I guess that's a good mistake to happen. I mean, I have to come all the way up to uh, Medina and spend time with you guys? Oh, that's just horrible. I mean, uh, come on. Sarcasm, obviously. I enjoy seeing, uh, seeing all of you. I don't get up here... Uh, often enough because of the, the demands of schedules and and just life. You know, life just seems to keep you busy and uh, all these different things happening in our country certainly keeps our mind and our thoughts and oftentimes our emotions busy. Uh, do they not? Well, I'll tell you that uh, the song that we sang, Blessed Be the Tide That Binds, if you have never had a greater appreciation for people of like mind, uh, being joined together in God's Holy Spirit uh, as we sit back at home oftentimes and look at our TVs and look at the current events that are occurring, I tell you what, I become more and more appreciative for the opportunity uh, that God has not only given me, but uh, we as a people, God's people, to congregate together and to uh, get to talk about some good things. Because there's enough in this world that will keep us focused on the bad things, Right? If you would please, brother, I'm going to go ahead and get right into the sermon today. And I really haven't developed really a title for this yet. So I guess if I'm going to come up with a title on the spot, I guess I'm going to come to the point where I say this. The title of today's sermon is The Reality of Choice. That's what I want to talk about today. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, because I'm going to talk about some current events. There's some things that happened this week. Uh, that I think that we need to talk about just so we can keep things in perspective. And if we don't talk about these things and recognize them, then how do we heal from them? That's, that's what I always say here. But I want to recognize something that the scriptures seem to indicate, in, in, indicate here. And let me grab my coffee here. I cannot speak without my coffee because my mouth gets dry. Unfortunately. As a result of me looking at the schedule here at last minute, I have to admit to you that my sermon is a little bit last minute too, so I really don't know how this is going to come out, but I am with God's people. We do have a similar spirit. God has never let me down yet. I've let him down. He's never let me down, so I'm stepping out a little bit on faith today. Not that I'm unprepared, but I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be, but be that as it may over here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And really, when you look at the Greek that is used here, perilous really means times that are hard to take. These days are hard to take, are they not? Brethren, we live in rough times. We really do. We live in a world that is greatly void of God's Holy Spirit. We live in a world that has filled in the gap there with carnality, 
human logic and reason. And as a result of that, we see people doing things, committing things, saying things that don't quite make sense to us because we just don't think that way. I, I mean, ISIS. My mind cannot grasp the brutality and the evil that one has to be or become to do the things that they do to other human beings. I don't understand how people come to the place where they can simply walk up to somebody who has a family, who has sons and daughters, wife, perhaps a brother, cousins, or have real people who have feelings and emotions, just living their lives. Oftentimes they're, they're singled out because they profess Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. How they could walk up to them and hold a knife up to their throat, a decapitated human being. I, I can't imagine that. I, I do understand sometimes how people have, how do I put this, crimes of passion. I don't agree with it. But I can understand where sometimes a husband and wife who are, who are splitting up could come to the place where they say, oh, I just want to kill you sometimes, you know. But I don't understand how people actually carry out those deeds. I don't understand. You have to come to a place in your mind where you're completely void of any conscience to do that. I call that evil. Perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And don't get me started. Don't get me started on that one. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Boy, that's... That's probably the hardest pill that our country has to swallow right now. The pill of forgiveness. There's a lot of things in our history, brethren, that aren't quite pretty, but people just cannot forgive or let go, what's causing a lot of problems down the line for us now today. And we'll progress through this, hopefully, as I uh, start to read some more of these scriptures. Slanders without self-control, brutal despisers of good, or opposed to good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, if we're able to. Oftentimes these people come to us. But here just a couple days ago, there was a man by the name of Micah, uh, let me get his name right, Xavier Johnson, U.S. Army veteran decided to go on a killing spree with a rifle. Shooting the people who protect us in our society, not having any respect for authority, a man who is obviously full, of, you have to be full of hate and rage to do something like this. You really have to have a lack of concern or a compassion or any kind of a human emotion for anybody other than yourself and for what you're angry about to commit such an atrocity that we saw. America's in trouble. When things like this start happening, America is in trouble. And what always cracks me up, and I say that uh, facetiously, is the fact that when something like this happens, when somebody chooses to do something like this, 
Everybody rushes forward. They want to be on the news. They get interviewed. They bring psychologists, psychiatrists. They bring all these so-called experts on human behavior. And they always ask the question, why? Well, you know, I don't have a degree in psychology. And I don't have anything against anybody who does have a degree in psychology. I just have a hard time following somebody who's based all of his theories uh, when he himself was a cocaine addict. Freud. I have, I have problems with that. Now, I'm not saying that there's not provable science to say that uh, they have diagnosed certain ailments in people, but I'm telling you, there is something much more bigger going on behind the scenes than simple mental illness. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist. It does exist. But if we think for one second what is going on in our country is not a spiritual issue, see, no one wants to address that. No one wants to say there's got to be some physical uh, uh, nor, uh, abnormality to this person that causes them to do this. Yeah, it's called choice. It's called choosing to do evil. It's called waking up, deciding for yourself that today you're going to take your stand and you're going to exact revenge on somebody who you perceive has done you wrong or someone else wrong, even though that may or may not be the case. I love it when God tells me, when he says, revenge is mine, say the Lord. I will repay and I will recompense. You know why? Because that doesn't give me opportunity to mess it up. Right? Because us being emotional, illogical creatures sometimes, we would go off on such tangents and we would get, oh, I'm going to get you, and half the time or more we're wrong. It's misguided, it's misdirected, and the actions that people do to get this revenge are inexcusable. And I guess that's what so troubles me about all these experts on TV is we look for excuses. There has to be something in their past. They were radicalized, right? Well, pardon me for, for being sarcastic again, but my dad always told me that you are what you choose to do, right? And you just don't wake up one day and decide you're going to commit something like that, like we're talking about here, the shooting in Dallas, where the last I heard was five police officers dead and there were seven people wounded, you don't just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I think I'm going to just snipe a bunch of innocent people that have done me no wrong, right? You know, it's cognizant. It, it, how long did it take this individual to get to this point where they decided, I want to do this? I can even see somebody coming to the point, don't agree with it, so please don't misunderstand. Well, they plan it out and they get to it and they say, you know what, I just can't do it. I just can't do this. My mind was set on committing this atrocity, but now that I'm really here in the moment, I've got my gun, I see these people, I, I, I just can't do it. It's, this is not right. But to sit there and do it repeatedly, five times, seven times, how many rounds were shot off, and not have one thought and to say, you know, maybe this isn't the right way. Not to have a second thought to just stop and say, this is insanity. You have to be lost to do something like that. Well, unfortunately, brethren, this, uh, this man's not alone. Because mankind has a long history of making bad choices, choosing evil over good, doing things they ought not do. Oftentimes, God gets the blame. You know, you know uh, me and Margie were talking here before services. I wonder how many people are going to be saying today, 
Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't he just send his angels to supernaturally jump in front of those, those rounds and stop people from being hurt? Why didn't God intervene? They come to the conclusion, you know, God's not real. He doesn't exist. When are we going to stop blaming God? As a race of, of people. You know, theologians are no better. There are a lot of theologians that blame God. Those who adhere to a doctrine called hyper-Calvinism would blame God, saying he was predestined to do this. He only did it because God made him do it. He was created for this purpose. So, again, God gets the blame for something that a human being decides to do for themselves. It just boggles my mind. But down through the history here, we've got a lot of people. There's a, there's a man here, and I, you'll excuse me, but I didn't, uh, I didn't have time to to research his background or to find out much about him, but his name is Cliff, Cliff Pickover, okay? And he came up with this article called The Scales of Good and Evil, talking about mankind, right? And he really gets to the heart of what is the nature of man? You see, there are people out there that believe that mankind is completely and utterly, totally depraved of any good, while people like us believe that people commit bad acts, but basically mankind still has good in them. I would defy somebody who believed that mankind is totally depraved of any kind of ability to do any good. I would ask them to tell me why those police officers rushed to the fire and not away. Why did they go to the fire? Anybody could have followed their natural instinct. It's not natural instinct to run to trouble. It's a natural instinct to run away from it. But out of a, a selfless sense of duty and protection, they ran to it to stop it. I, I, I have felt that. I have felt that urge over the years to either do or don't do. Right? I was a rescue diver for my, my Franklin, hometown of Franklin County for, what, seven years. Pulling people out of the water, dead bodies, whatever you name I mean... I didn't always want to do that. And you know what? I was scared. To this day, I don't like water. I'm scared to death of it. Get me out there in a boat. I don't like it. There are things that we go through in life that I tell you what, they do impact you. But we can choose to allow those things that affect us to affect us in a positive way or a negative way. Right? I can remember one time, because of the work that, that I was involved in, I became so calloused to the things that I saw I can remember, uh, a lot of you know I, I have a twin brother. Uh, we don't talk, we don't get along. He's a staunch uh, opponent to what he calls Armstrongism. But, but by the way, Armstrong didn't come up with this stuff. I've got a history of the church, and I've seen many, many people down through the ages that taught it before him. But I've got this picture at home of <clears throat> he and I standing in our wetsuits and water about waist deep, and I'm pointing out to this way where we think that the guy drowned in this and that, and... I remember becoming so calloused about some of the things that I saw and how it, infect, it impacted me. I remember making jokes. In my mind, I'd, I'd become evil to a point. Because I remember making jokes about, I remember looking at my brother going, what do you think he's going to look like when we find him? Is he going to be all stiff like that last guy we found? You know, what's he going to smell like? We were sitting there joking, and we were laughing, and we were hooting and hollering. And about that time, I looked over to my shoulder, and there's the man's eight-year-old daughter looking me right in the eyes with tears. 
To this day, I don't forget that. To this day, that haunts me. I had nightmares over that for years. The guilt. I thought, how did I ever come to this place where I could act like that? But I did. But I did. There's a lot of people that have had a lot of things in their lives affect them to the point where they've committed huge atrocities against humanity. I mean, what I did was bad enough. That was bad. Shame on me forever even thinking that way. But there are people in this list, this scale of good and evil, that have done a lot of worse things than that. Like he, he lists, he, he basically categorizes these people as, <laughs> from a list of one to ten, one, one being the ones who he would least likely be, like to be in a room with, the evil, and the other top ten who he would most likely want to be in a room with. He comes up with this list. The top ten most evil people that chose evil in this world. Now this guy, I think he's a, he's a Spaniard, Thomas de Torquemada. Anybody remember him? He was commissioned by the Catholic Church during the Inquisition under the banner of Christianity to torture countless of thousands of people. Said that he even liked it. Says uh, uh, during his uh, tenure, it was estimated about 2,000 people that he, he uh, impacted in, in, in their lives. And what really compelled him to do these things was hatred for the Jews. You see, nobody can make you do these kind of things. It was his own hatred that allowed him to give himself permission to do these things. See, there's a misnomer, there's a misunderstanding about evil. And I think sometimes in the church we miss the mark at describing exactly what evil is. You see, there's not one of us in this room, yours truly included, that is not capable of committing a heinous act. Right? We can do anything at any time, at any moment, in a moment of weakness, fit of rage, we are capable of some of the worst atrocities that you could ever... It's within us, right? But there's one, but there's one difference. There's one thing. It's not the act of evil that makes the person evil. It's the pretense. It's the pretense. And what the pretense means is you walk through life... Uh, people who are, are narcissists are a perfect example of, of this kind of um, pretense. What it is, is over time, and this is how I believe all these people got to the place where they could do these things, is you start to tell yourself a lie. Right? What I'm doing isn't really that bad. Right? After all, who am I really hurting? And over time, what happens is People refuse to allow themselves to feel any kind of narcissistic injury or bruise to their ego to the point where they just say, I'm not doing anything wrong. And pretty soon, they believe their own lies. And the acts of evil continue and continue and they progress and they progress until you come to this point of these people that we're talking about here. The evil is in the pretense, not the act. Because the acts become more numerous and more vital and violent and more egregious against God, the longer they allow it to go on, the longer the lie is believed. So the act is not evil. Uh, case in point, somebody can commit murder. That's an evil act. But when they say, oh my goodness, what did I do? I should not have done that. That guilt says that there's still hope for that person. Right? But the person that says, well, after all, they deserved it anyways. They should never cross my path. It's their fault. That's evil. 
That's a mind that can't be worked with. Right? So these people came to a point in their lives where they believed their lives. To hate a group of people just because they're Jewish? How many lies do you have to tell yourself and believe that? I mean, it's just incredible. So Thomas Diacomata, Adolf Hitler. Well, there's another one. Adolf Hitler was born April 20th, 1889 uh, at some inn in Austria-Hungary. Adolf Hitler made a choice. He made a choice to kill countless of millions of, what was it? I, I can't remember the estimate. He didn't put the, was it like four million or something like that of Jews? Well, if you read about Adolf Hitler's upbringing, you'll see that the guy didn't really have much of a chance in life. I'm not excusing him. That's one thing you will not hear me do. I will not excuse somebody for this. But when you realize that Adolf Hitler grew up with a dad whom beat and stomped to death in front of him at his puppy when he was little and acts like that continued throughout his life, you understand how somebody can become so twisted that they do some certain things. But now this, this, this takes on a whole new meaning. Ivan the Terrible, uh, Moscow, Adolf Eichmann, Paul Pot, Mao Zedong, Idi Amin, uh, Joseph Stalin, Genghis Khan, H. H. Holmes, Gilles de Reyes, all these different people did all these things that committed all these acts against atrocity. And we can talk about their beginnings all we want to. And we can talk about this Micah Johnson all we want to and his beginnings and what brought him to the point that he came to to do these things. But you know what? I'm not really interested in that. I'm not interested in talking about psychological damages that people may occur that cause Nobody caused him to do this. Nobody caused Adolf Hitler to do the acts that he did, or Paul Paul, Mao Zedong, Stalin, or any of these people. Nobody put a gun to their head and said, you're going to do this. They made a choice. They chose to do something wrong. And that's really what we're talking about today. Now, what comes to question here is, a lot of theologians, oftentimes this happens, they will contemplate the nature of man. Man's nature. Is he totally evil? Is he totally deprived of any kind of, uh, of understanding of what's right and what's wrong? To a lot of theologians, they would say that mankind is completely and utterly incapable of any good acts. Well, I, I, you know, I don't even need to open the scriptures to show how foolish that argument is because every day, day in and day out, we watch people who lend somebody a hand. I see people all the time. You see those people on the street corner. Now, whether they're really homeless or not, they hold those signs up, says, I need money for food. I see people all the time handing them money. Now, whether, whether or not that person's really homeless, I don't know. What are their motivations? I don't know, but they don't have to do it. They don't have to give that person money. Those police officers, they didn't have to rush to the battle. They could have ran away. There's all kinds of people day in and day out that rush to the side of other people who need help. So to say that mankind is completely and utterly deprived or depraved of any good flies in the face of, of Scripture and it flies in the face of logic. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. But all these people that we've talked about here, the ones on this scale of, of evil list here, what did they have in common? There's one thing that they had in common. Again, I don't care about daddy was too mean to him or mom yelled at him too much. I don't care about that stuff. 
That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't amount to a hill of beans to me. My dad yelled at me and my mommy spanked me. Okay, trust me. I, I got whooped. I come from the old school, man. I remember as a teenager, my brother and I, we'd be in the most vicious fist fights. And you know what mom would do? If we were by a picture on the wall, that picture came off the wall and you got it. You got it. That's how she broke it up. And you know what? She had two boys that were, you know, <laughs> out of control. Neither one of us grew up to be murderers, right? And you might find it surprising to, to uh, hear, but God says the same thing. And we'll get to that scripture here in just a little bit. I'm sick and tired of hearing that the children's teeth are set on edge because they ate sour grapes. Right? I'm sick of hearing that argument. No, 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 no. Their fathers ate sour grapes, so their teeth are set on edge? Because my dad did something? Makes, it's going to translate to me? No. There are plenty of examples of people in life who have overcome adversity and made good out of their lives regardless of their circumstances. There's one thing that all these people had in common. We have it in common with them too. It's called free will. Free moral agency. Now, as far as God intervening in the affairs of mankind and why didn't God stop this uh, before it happened, one of the, the best explanations that I've heard to date regarding God's lack of, perceived lack of, inter, I'll say perceived lack of intervention, because you never know how bad things could really be. So we don't know that. But uh, many, many years ago, Garner Ted Armstrong I had a sermon, don't remember the title of it, but he was addressing this very issue. And he said, uh, and I'm going off memory and I'm getting old. I'll be 46 here in August. So my memory is not what it used to be. So if I say something that's a bit inaccurate, it's simply an accident. I don't mean to do that or misrepresent the truth. But I remember Ted Armstrong saying, how would you like it if every time you were going to do something that was not right or good for you, smoking, for example, right? Put this in perspective. Say we wanted to have a cigarette. We know that's not good for us. But as soon as we lit up that cigarette and put it to our mouths, an invisible angel would come up, slap it right out of our hand, right? We light up another one, slap it right out of our hand. Okay, then I'll grab a beer. I've got a drinking problem. Might as well feed that monster, right? So I'll drink a beer, and right before I get all oh, that cold beer out to my lips, it'll smack, goes on the ground. And so on and so on and so on, no matter what the vice or whatever the danger is to us, whatever we're participating in, God would intervene. He would send his angels, slap whatever it is out of our hand, and, and what would our reaction be? Why don't you just leave me alone? Why do you keep interfering in my life? Why don't you let me make decisions for myself? And pretty soon, as a result of God's intervention, what people really see as intrusion on that side of the coin, we would become so angry with God that we would be mad at him for intervening in our lives. So God doesn't win here in the, in the eyes of mankind. If he intervenes, he gets in trouble. If he doesn't intervene, he gets in trouble. So God really is in a place where he just, he can't do anything right with as far as mankind is concerned because there's always a critic. There's always a critic. And I want to, to say something in support of our Creator today because I get tired of hearing God take the blame for all this stuff. 
The theologians are wrong, the news anchors are wrong, psychologists are wrong, and the people that commit the crimes are wrong. God did not create mankind evil. And I can prove that through the scriptures. And let's do that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to show you some points here in the scriptures about the, the, the nature of man and how he was created so we can get this biblical overview of what mankind is really made up of, good or bad. I think you know the answer, we're capable of both, okay? But we're taking on this theological uh, assumption that God, that we are created evil. Now, in the beginning, we can definitely say man was not created evil. So here in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to bring up seven points here. Seven points here just in Genesis chapter 1. Now, just bear with me. They are going to be redundant, but I'm going to skip through this because this is bringing me to a point, and I need to say it, okay? In regards to the creation narrative, there are some things that Moses has recorded here for us in regards to the creation, okay? The first one we find here is in Genesis 1, verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, right? So that's, that's just... Let's just start out here. The light that God created was good. So this part of creation God made was good. Skip on down here to, let's see here. Let's go to verse 10. And God, God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Right? Question. Can a creator who was good that is incapable of evil, create anything other than good. He can't even tell a lie, the scripture tells us. So how can he create something? You know, Satan wasn't created. God didn't create Satan. God created Lucifer. Lucifer made Satan through his choice. God didn't do that. Okay? Let's go down through here just a little bit more. Just bear with me. And verse 12, the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose kind is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that that was good. All right? Verse 18, and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. There's our fourth point. Keep reading down through here. Uh, this would be verse 21, I'm sorry. So God created great seed creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. How could you not call these, these things good? To observe these things in nature. You ever, you ever watch these? Uh, I, we just got through this thing called Shark Week on Discovery Channel. Oh, I am glued to the table. My kids even get mad at me. I'm like... I'm watching Shark Week. I'm not ask, answering any questions right now. Shark Week is on. I'm out of commission for just an hour here, okay? I, it, uh, Shark Week is my thing. But then you see these, these pictures of these, these dolphins and these porpoises swimming next to the boat and this perfectly pristine, clear water and the sun reflecting and the rays light reflecting onto the boat. And it's absolutely beautiful. Like, how could you call it anything other than good? Creation is perfect. It's not evil, okay? In 25, we skip on down through here. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God created everything after its kind. 
and it was good. How come we don't see transgender cattle? Why, why don't we see homosexual birds? Because it wasn't created that way. It wasn't made that way. It's not the natural state of things. These are things that man has corrupted. You know, I, I could bring up some, some, some alleged scientific proof that there, there is homosexuality in the animal kingdom, but it's all, it's all hogwash. It really is. I don't have time to get into all that, but 28... Uh, down through here, uh, after God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Is God evil? Now, that's a stupid question, but I, I ask a stupid question because I think stupid topics like this <laughs> deserve those kind of questions, you know, that, regarding to, you know, uh, if man is evil or not. But mankind was created in God's image in the beginning. So therefore, just based on this fact alone, I would say if mankind is created in God's image in the Garden of Eden here, mankind cannot have been created evil if they're created after the image and the likeness of their creator. Because if we're going to say opposite to that, then we have to call God into question. We have to call his very nature into question. But there's something that's said here in verse 31, after he goes through this, uh, these next couple verses, and he kind of goes through and summarizes the things that, that he says here in verse 31, and, and then God saw everything. Now, what does everything include? I would say everything. I would say there's nothing that's, that's not included in this topic here. When it says, and God saw everything, it doesn't mean some things. It literally means everything, right? God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, mankind is included in this statement. He's not left out. He's not deleted. He's not overlooked. He's not an exception. God saw that everything he created was very good. So therefore, the nature of man, I have to come to the conclusion in its original state was nothing other than good. Now, we have a problem, though, because what a lot of theologians will, will say that, well, you know, you know that, that's true, that's true, but it was after the fall that this total depravity occurred, right? Well, there's some other scriptures that we're going to turn to, um, to to prove that wrong here, but I want to get to a sermon, a sermon that was not preached by any church of God minister, or uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyways. Any minister dealing with the same mind probably wouldn't say the same things that he did in the sermon. Uh, but his name is Peter Washer. And the title of his sermon is All Men, All Men Are Born Evil. That's his title. And this is what he says about the state of mankind. Okay, He says uh we are all under the curse of total depravity or incapable of doing any good at all and our thoughts and our actions indeed can be nothing but evil. Now I admit to you, I've got some pretty evil thoughts sometimes. I do. I've got some pretty good thoughts too. I've got some pretty good thoughts too, but he's saying that the whole total of a person is evil. Um, he pulls some extreme examples from society 
just to show how incapable we are. He says Adolf Hitler was not an anomaly. He was the norm. He's the normal human being, Adolf Hitler. Anybody believe that? Because I don't see a whole lot of people destroying millions and millions of other human beings. This next one's probably my favorite. He says, a little, talking about a little baby, he says, a little baby, and looking at his father's watch, some of you fathers have seen this, I, I was not, uh, I didn't have uh, my, my kids naturally, so I never got to see something like this in my children, but it says, a little baby, looking at his father's watch, will reach out for it and become angry when told no. Okay? The baby gets angry, okay? Keep telling the baby no. Now, remember, these aren't my words. This is this, this, I want to make that clear. I'm not saying this, this, this other minister is. Keep telling the baby no, and he will reach out in anger and try to hurt you if he could. If he could, now that's how ridiculous he gets. If he could supernaturally gain the strength of an 18-year-old man he would step over your dead body, your dead bloody body, with a watch on his wrist, walk out of the front door after murdering his parents and have no remorse whatsoever. Anybody ever ask a baby if that's true? Anybody ever ask a baby if they would step out of the room after murdering their parents and just have no thoughts or remorse? But this is ridiculous. This is the theology that people actually believe. I'm not making this up. This is out there. This is really out there. People really buy into this stuff, right? He has a very harsh perspective on mankind. So he summarizes this. Man is born nothing but evil. Man was born hating God. Every thought is evil. Here's one. All infants go to hell even if aborted because of its evil nature. I think this guy's got some problems. I really do think this guy has some problems. This isn't normal thinking, right? Utterly and hopelessly incapable of any good work at all. Everyone born in the flesh is evil. My question is, everyone who was born in the flesh is evil. What about Jesus? Jesus was born in the flesh. He took on the nature of mankind. He walked this life. He lived it. You want to talk about somebody who, who suffered... Uh, dejection, rejection, uh, slander. You know, I, I'm, my, my mind here is, is not coming up with enough adjectives quickly. You want to talk about somebody who suffered would have had enough psychological neuroses to last a lifetime? You don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ, but yet he made a choice. He made a choice. And if mankind is incapable of walking in the steps of Christ and walking as, as he walked, then the apostles lied to us. Then they lied to us. It just absolutely boggles one mind when, when you read this, these type of things. So we, we've already seen that, you know, uh, mankind, uh, his state of creation, what he was really like. I mean, you look at this, these, are these poor examples of, of humanity, and a lot of people out there would say that they're not the anomalies we are. We're the anomaly. It just doesn't make just doesn't make much sense to me. But and um, in Genesis chapter two, let's go over there real quick. I usually have my my timekeeper out in the audience, but I don't have it. Do we have a time time check? 
20 minutes? Okay, good, good. Genesis chapter 2. Let's see where I want to go here. Let's just go to verse 8. Genesis chapter 2. We have this account of this supernatural being uh, known as the Satan or the adversary of mankind. We've already discussed him a little bit. I'm not going to discuss him too much other than the fact that the indicators are that even the angelic realm has free moral agency and they have free will. Now, some people like to say that there's a third of the angels that, that followed Satan because of this hierarchy that's created. They didn't do it of free will. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, you know, because the Bible mentions uh, three archangels in, in scriptural, uh, Michael, Gabriel, and then, of course, you have uh, Lucifer back then. Of course, each one had a third of the angels at their, at their side and at their command. So a lot of people say that the third that Satan took with him, they had no choice because he's their leader. But yet, in the rank of things, I think God would outrank Satan, right? So it doesn't make much sense to me. So anyways, here in verse 8, <clears throat> the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put uh, the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight of good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now he goes on down through and talks about uh, this description of what it looked like and all these ever di different things and gives some of the names of the rivers. And but in verse 15 we come to the conclusion of this, of this set of scriptures. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, a lot of people say what was given to Adam and Eve here was nothing more than a chance to fail. You know, you put something in front of a kid, like we always use that analogy of the cookie jar. Tell a kid not to eat a cookie. What they're going to do, they're going to keep looking at that cookie jar and eventually they're going to get into the cookie jar, right? And they try to assert and assign the same motivations uh, uh, to God here. But when you really look at what was given to Adam and Eve in the garden was really something that anybody who really genuinely wanted to be loved or wants to be loved in this world, you know what they do? They give you the choice to love them. You give them the choice to whether or not they want to be around you and be with you and to live with you and, and to reciprocate these things. God gave them a choice. This is the way of knowledge of good, and this is the way of evil. What are you going to choose? I don't want you to follow me because you fear me. I want you to follow me because you choose to follow me. So this wasn't something that God set up uh, to purposely trip up man. No, 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 no. See, God wants genuine love. He wants a genuine following. He doesn't want somebody just to follow him because they're afraid of him. You want to keep people in the chairs? Tell them they're going to hell if they don't show up to church. Think about it. If you don't come to this church, you're out of the body, and you will burn in hell. Now, we have our own people in our, our culture that do that. They may not mention hell, but people like Gerald Flourisher like to say that. If you're not a part of my church because <clears throat> I was ordained by Herbert W. Armstrong, that if you don't follow me, then you are out of the ecclesiastical body and therefore a heretic. And you will not be in the first resurrection. Right? Guess what? He keeps a lot of people in the chairs because they're afraid to be out of the body. I don't excuse their ignorance either. 
Because we're told to work out our own salvation. We're, we're, we're told to prove all things by Paul. Actually, Paul told that to Timothy. But God didn't give man a, a template for failure here. He gave him a, a template of choice, of free will. And if this teaches us anything, it's just that. The life is made up of choices, and boy, things went wrong right from the beginning. Now, did, did God, uh, was he surprised by their choice? Was he surprised that Adam and Eve made the wrong decision? Nah. I don't believe that for a second because we have other scriptures that indicate that the plan of salvation, I believe one isn't found in Titus chapter 1 there, where the, the plan of salvation began before time was even thought up. So that, that, that plan of salvation was already a part of everything before Adam and Eve fell. I often tease people in the Columbus congregation. Uh, <laughs> we have our, our deacon, Mr. Luca, he and I kind of joke back and forth. I say, oftentimes, you know, if, if Adam, were, Adam and Eve weren't the first people to fall, that uh, God knew that uh, Eugene Luca would eventually come along and he would fail, right? And we get a good chuckle out of that. But the bottom line is God knew somewhere down the line there would be somebody who would choose not to follow him and the plan of salvation would eventually become enacted because he knew given the opportunity that people would make bad choices, but he made accounts for that. He made a plan for that, right? Proof texts. Proof texts. Over here in Genesis chapter 6, you know, there's a lot of good information in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6 here, there are some proof texts that those who believe in total depravity um, would point to to show us that that we are wrong about this, this free will and, and, and our choices that we have here. Um, but let's go to Genesis chapter 6, and I want to see exactly where I want to start here, because I've only got 20 minutes. Let's, you know what? Let's just start in verse 1. Let's see where God takes me on this. Now it came to pass when men, men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, but his days shall be 120 years. So God puts this first limitation on man's lifespan, which later on, Psalms 90 and verse 10, God places roughly 70 as an average. There were giants on the earth in those days, and afterwards the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they were born, born children to them. These were mighty men, uh, who were of old and, and renowned. No, this is not an account. I want to repeat this because there are a lot of weird theological theories out there about this. This is not an account of fallen angels mating with man and creating these giants on the earth, these Nephilim, as people will say. Angels do not have, whether they're good angels or they're demons, they do not have reproductive abilities. They are not physical. They can appear physical, but they only appear physical. Okay? They cannot have offspring. It's not, their, it's not their thing here. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the very intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Boy, this sounds an awful lot like our society today. There's a lot of evil thoughts and a lot of evil things going on in our society. And I've, I've highlighted just a little bit here um, earlier on, but who would have thought that we'd be sitting here talking today you go back about just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, who would have ever thought we'd be sitting here contemplating whether or not all these different places of business are going to put in transgender bathrooms? Right? 
Smack my head. It was an SMH on texting. SMH, smack my head. These are things that we weren't even thinking about 10, 15 years ago. There are things nowadays that are occurring that I used to say were conspiracy theories that I see unfolding before my very eyes. I don't laugh at them anymore. I don't. We have become so smart as, 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 a, as humanity that we've actually become dumb. We find our faith in money. We find our faith in technology. We find our faith in our own, own ability. And the bottom line is we have forsaken our Creator. We put faith in everything but Him. And it seems like every time we turn on the news, there's, there's just bad news to look at. But he continues down here. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. It actually says God repented. He repented that he made man, right? My point is this in reading this scripture. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But the argument, this brings us back to the crux of the argument. The crux of the argument is that mankind was created good, but after the fall, mankind was evil, totally depraved, right? Then why did God choose Noah and his sons? If every man is totally depraved of any good and the thoughts are only evil, then why did God say Noah was righteous enough to save? It doesn't add up. Yeah, I get it. I get where people say that man's thoughts are evil, continually evil, that you know, there's not much good to see. I, I get where people come to that conclusion. If you're always watching the news, there's not much good news reported. It's all negative. It really is. But my point is, and using their own scripture against them, if that's going to be the argument, if mankind is completely and utterly, totally depraved of any righteous act whatsoever, then I would submit to you that Noah would never have been an option, nor his family members. It doesn't add up when you look at things logically. See, sometimes that's what mankind fails to do. They get so caught up, we get so caught up, in theories and idea babies that we don't step back and just say, does this make sense? Let's really think about this. Is what I'm saying, is it really logical? Does it really hold up or is this just an idea? So people have made this whole theological practice and belief system on things that don't hold up under scrutiny. They, they just don't. They just don't. And let's just keep going here. Uh, you still got people like Christ, Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Sarah, Mary, Joseph. How long did God search for uh, Mary and Joseph? You're going to trust somebody with your only son that you're going to beget, and the whole total of, of salvation relies on him, and you're going to turn him over to creatures that are evil? Does that make any sense? Yeah, I know, I know. I know, you, you know better, I know. But this is what people say. If mankind was completely and utterly depraved of any good, then he would not even be able to choose Mary. I would submit to you, he took a very long time to find her. I think he took a long time to find Joseph. I think he took a long time to select the right people to raise his son. And I, I, they couldn't have been evil. They couldn't have been. Because the whole plan of salvation would have been at risk. We do know that Noah had his problems, you know, he got drunk once, you know, some bad things happened uh, with Ham and all that. Um, we'll continue on down through here. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 64. <clears throat> I'm trying to read my handwriting right now. 
I do that a lot. I write down these great notes. I say, don't forget to say this. And then I read it, and I was like, what? I don't even know what you're saying there, partner. I don't, know what, I don't know what you put down there. But here in verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down to the mountains and might shake at your presence as fire burns the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down, the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You, you meet him who rejoices and does, not, and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. Right? In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are like an unclean, unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities are like the wind, have taken us away. Why doesn't the writer here say, you created us this way, why did you do that? You know, there's a lot of writers, the psalmist, a lot of prophets had a lot of opportunity to say, why did you create us evil? And then why are you going to call, to call upon us, and why are you going to bring calamity upon us because we do evil when we have no choice in the matter? That would be an unrighteous creator. To tell somebody you have expectations for them, right? To obey righteousness, to do the right thing, and then to not give them the ability to do so, that's sadistic. That doesn't sound like the real creator. That sounds like an imposter. It sounds like an imposter. It really does. So, I mean, we look at all these things, and again, we see choice. Choice has always been there. It has always been that, that, that free will that, uh, that man has chosen. You know, when, when man chooses to not obey, bad things happen. I can remember, i got 10 minutes left. Okay, thanks, John. Uh, this is probably, going back a little bit of ways now here, five or six years ago, five or six years ago, I took my family to Virginia Beach. And uh, like I said, I've got, some, I've got some baggage because of the career that I used to have. And uh, I know some things about water, and I know some things that you shouldn't do in certain types of water. So I was telling my kids, you know, have fun in the ocean. You know, I'll be close by, but don't do this. Don't do that. If you get caught in a rip current, this is how you get rid of it. This is how you get out of it. Don't panic. Swim parallel. Don't swim too because you'll get tired and drowned. Now, I remember my last instructions were, I, I know I'm one, of the, I'm one of those parents that are just like, don't, don't get hurt. You know, I get, I get nervous about things like that. I told my son, Nick, I saw him going out. He's my youngest. I saw him going out in the ocean with goggles on goggles. And I said, I don't want you wearing those goggles. Don't wear those goggles. Uh, why? I want to see underwater. I said, number one, the water's murky. You're not going to be able to see. But if you get hit by a wave, you're going to get hurt with those things on your face. They're not built to take the impact. Those are for pools, not for oceans. Well, it couldn't have been 20 minutes later. I heard screaming, like horrible, like blood-curdling screams. I looked up. I was in the water. And I looked at Angie and I said, because the, 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 the pitch of this scream was so high. I said, somebody's daughter's hurt, right? Oh, no, it was Nick. It was my son. He didn't listen. 
went and snuck his goggles out again, was picked up by a wave, slammed face first into the ground, and split wide open all the way across his brow. Had to go to the emergency room, right? Didn't listen. Chose not to obey. Bad things happened. But a funny thing happened out of that, though. Now, see, this is why I'll never believe, one of the reasons I'll never believe that mankind is totally depraved, aside from the fact that it's a ridiculous argument. But there was a lifeguard there that chose not to do anything. The lifeguard was there to help us. He just looked over and then looked away. But, you know, that, that's, that's inexcusable. But what happened was there were groups of people and families who rushed and flocked right beside us, gave us water, gave us sterile uh, towels, they gave us all kinds of things, they helped us, we got them calm, and because of all those people helping us, we were able to stay calm, because I was freaked out, right? I mean, there was a lot of blood. Those people didn't have to go to that. They didn't have to rush to it. They didn't have to help us out. Nowadays, people say, I'm not going to get involved because I don't want to get sued. I find myself saying that sometimes. Don't, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm getting trouble. I don't, don't want any trouble, right? But those people didn't have to help us. As far as I know, those people weren't in God's church. They don't, as far as I know, they don't have God's Holy Spirit. But what they, do, that they did have in them was something that was still there was good. They still had some good left in them to help out someone else when they needed it, just like those police officers that rushed to the fight instead of running from it. And I can tell you that that urge, that urge to run away from something that's dangerous is very powerful. It is very powerful. I remember uh, a few years ago I gave a sermon here, All's Well That Ends Well, and I talked about my family being chased by a bear in the Smoky Mountains. I didn't want to stay put. I wanted to run. I felt that natural inclination to get out of Dodge and be safe. That, that's a horrible struggle that happens within a person when they're, you never know what you're going to do when you're faced with something. I didn't do, I, I, did, I did refrain myself, I didn't run, I protected my family, but I can tell you, my natural inclination was to hoof it out of there quick. Right? It's tough. It's tough. But if people are completely evil, I just, it doesn't make sense to me that they would rush to the rescue of somebody who needs it. I mean, there are whole careers and professions that people uh, do in their lives and, 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 and they commit themselves to that are completely and utterly dedicated to helping others and serving other people. And we don't oftentimes give them enough credit, right? Police officers are under attack. All these different movements that want them to be sued and want them to be put into prison. I'll tell you what, I tell you what, you know, I have, I have had my, I'm going to fall back into some anecdotal stories here because, you know, there's a lot of people out there, these police officers taking a lot of heat right now, and the average person has no idea what they're going through. You have a second to make a decision, a split second to make a judgment call. And guess what? The jury has all the time they need, all the time they want, everything at their disposal. But you put yourself in a dangerous situation and you're either going to shoot or you're not going to shoot and you're seeing your family and you're seeing their family and you're, and you're, you're rushed to judgment. Um, people make mistakes. It happens. We're oftentimes called into court or at least called, <laughs> called into internal affairs. I think I had my own personal seat in internal affairs for a while, unfortunately, uh, just because of the role I found myself in. They had me on this... Uh, it was called uh, 
emergency response team. It was like an indoor SWAT team for the, for the jail. Only we didn't have the shields, we didn't have the, we didn't have the stun guns. Well, all we had was our bare hands. And if we were lucky, we had a mattress that they would give to us. So oftentimes, we'd find somebody, they would make a shank. It would be glass or it would be something that they'd sharpen out like plastic. Little, I, I heard this a hundred times, if not a thousand. Sergeant would open the door. Booker, get him. I had nothing. Nothing, nothing to protect myself. And then guess what? I took care of myself, but then I got in trouble. How dare you take care of yourself? How dare you not get stabbed before you reacted? Uh-uh. No, no, not, not this guy. I'm not doing that. And uh, I tell you what, we owe a lot of these people a great deal of gratitude. The military, the police officers, the firemen, paramedics, the doctors. I mean, all these people selflessly sacrifice a lot. And I'm not defending bad apples. In any group, you're going to find bad apples. I don't care what group you're in, you're going to find somebody that, that is just contrary to the philosophy. It happens. But to sit there and categorically condemn a whole group of people, no matter what group it is, is so utterly wrong. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have to be held accountable. Well, brethren, I know my time is short, and I know I didn't get to a lot of the scriptures that I wanted to, but, you know, the conclusion is that a couple days ago, it was a very sad day for Texas, for Dallas, for the United States of America. This certainly was a tragedy, a national tragedy, a state tragedy, not to mention the personal tragedies that all these families are feeling, the slain officers, all the other victims. People are suffering because somebody decided to make a choice. In that chaos. In that chaos, we saw both sides of the coin. And in times of chaos, you'll see people act, react different ways. You'll see good ways, you'll see bad ways. You'll see people exercising free choice, free moral agency in every facet, every aspect of life. Uh, the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear, no matter what the theologians want to tell us, that mankind was not created evil. Mankind was not doomed because of the fall, that God didn't somehow supernaturally erase and eradicate any good that was in, within mankind, that after that fall, you do see one thing, though. The thing that everybody, of all these examples that we've talked about, they all have in common, is they all chose to exercise their free will, their, formal, their free moral agency, in a way that was, in fact, evil. Right? Mankind is not totally depraved, Mankind does, does have a lot of carnality in him, and he does oftentimes choose the wrong thing, but that doesn't mean it's totally evil. God still does teach and believe in redemption. There is still redeeming value in mankind. There are a lot of bad examples out there. But really, when it comes down to it, mankind is inherently good, even though sometimes he chooses evil.